Chapters 2, 3, and 4 of The Story of Joan of Arc by Andrew Lang. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Voices Came to the Maid When Joan was about thirteen, a very wonderful thing happened to her. One day she and the other girls and boys were running a race for a crown of flowers. Joan was easily the winner, and as she was running, a child who was looking on cried, "'Joan, I see you flying along without touching the ground.' After the race, Joan had a curious feeling, as if she did not know where she was, and then heard a young man's voice near her bidding her go home, for her mother needed her. She did not know who spoke. She thought it might be her brother or one of her neighbors, so she ran home. She found that her mother had not sent for her, and she was going back to her friend's, when a bright light like a shining cloud appeared to her, and a voice told her to go and save France from the English. Till that hour she had been sorry for the sorrows in France, but as she was only a little girl she had never thought that she could lead an army against the English. This is the first account that people heard of the coming of the mysterious voices to Joan. It was written down about four years after the voices first came, and six weeks after Joan's first great defeat of the English in May 1429. Two years later, after Joan was a prisoner of the English, the French priests and lawyers who took the English side asked her thousands of questions about everything that she had done in her life, and the answers were written down in a book, word for word. They asked her about these wonderful voices. There were things that she refused to tell these priests and lawyers, but she did say this. When I was about thirteen, there came to me a voice from God, teaching me how I was to behave and what I was to do. And the first time that voice came, I was afraid. I was standing about the middle of the day, in summer, in my father's garden. The voice came from the right hand, from where the church stands. And when it came, I usually saw a great light on the side from which it spoke. The voice told me to be a good girl and go to church and go to save France. I said that I was only a poor girl who could not ride or lead the soldiers in the wars, but the voice kept on, for years, telling her that she must go. She not only heard voices, but she saw shining figures of the saints in heaven. She never would tell the lawyers much about how the saints appeared to her, but said, I saw them as clearly as I see you, and I used to cry when they went away, and I wished that they would take me with them where they went. These saints were St. Margaret. St. Catherine, and the Archangel St. Michael. When Joan spoke to her own friends about what she saw and heard, they say that she seemed marvelously happy, lifting her eyes to heaven. This is all that we know about these wonderful things which kept Joan company from the time when she was thirteen to the day of her death, when she was nineteen, advising her about what she was to do for the saving of France. If the voices had not spoken to her often, she would never have gone to the wars, and for some years she told nobody about the voices and stayed at home in her village. Even when she went to the wars, her friends could not persuade her to say more than I have told you about these strange things. She said that she had a council which advised her in everything. If there was much noise in a room where she might be, she could not hear the voices distinctly. Only one person said that he saw angels' faces in her company. None of her friends, who knew her best, saw or heard anything extraordinary. She very much disliked to speak about the saints and voices. Chapter 3 How the Maid Obeyed the Voices 
Time went on, and the Dauphin, the rightful prince of France, was more and more unfortunate. It is true that Henry V, the king of England, died. He was a great soldier, and his son was only a baby, but the war was carried on by the brother of the late king, the Duke of Bedford, by the Earl of Salisbury, by the famous Talbot, by Sir John Fastolf, and many other English generals. The Scots won a great victory over the English at Boge Bridge, where the Duke of Clarence, the brother of Henry V, was killed. But the French and Scots were beaten at Verneuil, where most of the Scots fell, fighting bravely. However, a new army came from Scotland under Stuart of Darnley, and still the war went on. By that time the Dauphin only held France, south of the great river Loire. The strongest place which was true to the Dauphin was the town of Orléans. If the English could once take that city and fill it with provisions and guns and other weapons, the French could not hope to win it back again, and the English would overrun the whole of the center and south of France and drive the Dauphin out of his own country. He was very poor and very unhappy. He could scarcely pay his bootmaker, as he was not a good fighting man. He lived here and there idly, at towns south of Orléans such as Blois and Poitiers. He used to wonder whether he had not better give up the war and go to Spain or Scotland. Another thing made him miserable. He did not know for certain whether he had really the right to be king or not, as many people said he was not truly the son of the last king of France. In his distress he prayed, privately and in silence, that he might know whether or not he was the rightful prince, and ought to be crowned and anointed as king. But he told nobody about this, and lived as best he could, wandering from one town to another. Then he heard that his great city of Orleans was being besieged by the English in the autumn of the year 1428. Orleans lies on the right bank of the river Loire, which here is deep, broad, and swift, with several islands in the middle of the current. The bridge was fortified on the farther side by two strong towers called Les Tourelles, but the English took this fortification, and so the people of Orleans could not cross the river by the bridge, and they broke down an arch that the English might not cross to them. One day the English general came to this fort, at a time when the soldiers of both sides dined, to look out of a narrow window and watch what was going on in the besieged town. Now it happened that a cannon lay, ready loaded, in a niche of the gate tower of Orleans that looked straight along the bridge to the Tourelles. The English general, the Earl of Salisbury, was peeping through the narrow window, thinking himself quite safe, as the French soldiers in Orleans had gone to dinner. But a small French boy went into the gate tower of Orleans, and seeing a cannon ready loaded, he thought it would be amusing to set a light to the touch-hole. So he got a linstock, as it was called, lighted it, put it to the touch-hole, and fired off the cannon. The bullet went straight into the narrow window out of which the English general was peeping, and he fell back, mortally wounded. This was a piece of good fortune for the French, but there were plenty of other English generals to take the place of Salisbury. The English built strong fortresses here and there outside the walls and gates of the town, to prevent help and food and wine and powder from being brought to the besieged French. But the people of Orleans were brave, and were commanded by good officers, such as Dunois, young Centrelle, La Hire, a rough-swearing knight, and others who became true friends of Joan of Arc, and food was brought in easily enough. The English had won so many battles that they despised the French, and so they did not take pains, and besides they had not men enough to surround Orleans and prevent cattle from being driven in from the country. 
The English seemed to have had no more than four thousand soldiers. They were neither strong enough to take the town by storm, nor many enough to surround it and starve the French into showing the white flag and giving up the place. In fact, the English had been beating the French just because they believed they could beat them, and thought that one Englishman was as good as three Frenchmen at least. This was nonsense, but under Henry V at Agincourt, a few English had beaten a great French army, because the French fought foolishly, trying to gallop to the charge over wet, heavy ploughed land, while the English archers shot them down in hundreds. But the French, you will see, had learned the English way of fighting on foot, and could have held their own if they had not lost confidence. CHAPTER Four: HOW JOAN HEARD NEWS STRANGELY Joan, far away in Domremy, would hear of the danger in which Orleans lay now and then, and her voices kept insisting that she must go and drive away the English. She used to cry and say that she would be quite useless, as she could not ride or fight, and people would think her mad or bad and laugh at her. The voices told her to go to the nearest strong-walled French town, Vaucouleurs, and ask the commander there, Robert de Baudricourt, to send her to the Dauphin who was then far away at Chinon, a castle on the Loire, south of Orléans. When she saw the king, she was to tell him that she had come to save France. This seemed quite a mad proposal. Baudricourt was a great, rough, sensible soldier, and how could Joan go to him with a message of this kind? He would merely laugh at the sunburned girl in her short red kirtle, a girl who probably had never spoken to a gentleman before. Perhaps this was the hardest part of Joan's duty, for she was modest, and she was very quick to notice anything absurd and ridiculous. Now nothing could seem more laughable than the notion that a little country wench of sixteen could teach the French to defeat the English. But there was no help for it. The voices and the shining cloud and the faces of saints and angels came several times every week, and a voice said, Daughter of God, go on, I will be with you. Joan had an uncle who lived near Vaucouleurs, and she went to stay with him, it seems that she told him she must go to the Dauphin, and the first thing needful was to get Robert de Baudricourt to send her a few men-at-arms, who would protect her on her long journey to Chinon. The uncle must have been very much astonished, but it seems he believed in her, for he took her to Robert. Of course Robert laughed and told John's uncle to take her away and box her ears. But she came again, and then a priest wanted to exorcise her, that is, to frighten the devil out of her, with religious services and holy water as if she had been possessed, like people in the New Testament. But Joan was not possessed, and the priest, after trying the holy water, could only say so. By this time the month of February, 1429, had come round. The besieged French in Orléans now had a great misfortune. The season of Lent was coming, that is, a time when they were not allowed to eat beef and mutton, but only fish and eggs and vegetables. Now a great number of wagons loaded with herrings were being sent to feed the English who were besieging Orleans. The general of the French in Orleans knew that, and he determined to send out soldiers to attack the English, who would be guarding the long line of wagons full of herrings. They would wait for the English on the road, cut them up, and carry the fish into the town for their own use. So a great many of the Scots and some French slipped out of Orleans by night and went to a place called Rouvray on the road by which the herrings were to pass. Here they were to be joined by another small French army under a general named Clermont, 
so they reached rouvray where they did not find clermont and his men but did see the english soldiers far away marching by the side of the long line of wagons instead of waiting hidden under cover till the english passed by and then rushing in among them unexpectedly stuart of darnley cried charge and rode with his lance in rest at the english front the scots were always in too great a hurry to fight the english saw them coming arranged the heavy wagons in a square and went inside the square so that the scots could not get at them safe behind their carts the english archers shot down the scots who thought bows and arrows rather mean weapons and wanted to cut down their enemies with the sword but they could not reach the english they fell in piles of slain men round the square and clermont the french general who was to have joined them would not fight and took away his army so very many brave scots were killed with stuart of darnley at their head and the rest retreated sadly to orleans where they heard the english hurrying in their camp this was called the battle of rouvray or the battle of the herrings it was fought on february twelfth fourteen twenty nine now on february twelfth joan went to baudricourt and told him that a terrible misfortune had happened that day to the army of the dauphin near orleans the news could not possibly reach vaucouleurs for several days for the distance between vaucouleurs and orleans is great and the roads were dangerous and might be beset by english soldiers and robbers who would stop messengers joan had been told of the defeat by her voices at last however the bad news did come joan had been right the french and scots had been defeated on the day when she told baudricourt of it february twelfth so baudricourt saw there was something uncommon in this country girl who knew what was happening far away and he lent her two young gentlemen and a few men-at-arms to guide her and guard her on her way to the dauphin somebody gave her a horse which to the surprise of all men she rode very well she had her long black hair cut short and close as soldiers wore it she dressed in a grey doublet and black hose like a boy she wore this kind of dress till the end of her life and then she rode through the gate of vaucouleurs which is still standing and away to seek the dauphin this was on february twenty third fourteen twenty nine after riding for several days joan and her company reached a little town called fierbois near chinon here was the chapel dedicated to saint catherine of fierbois who was a favorite saint of the french and scots soldiers and of joan in the chapel was a book in which the miracles of the saint were written down at this very time a scottish archer michael hamilton from shots was caught by some country people and was hanged by them during the night a voice came to the priest of the village saying go and cut down that scot who was hanged for he is not dead however the priest was sleepy and he did not go next day was easter day and the priest went to church and did the services after that he thought he might as well see about the scot who was hanging from a tree and seemed quite dead to make certain the priest took his penknife and cut the dead man's toe on this the man gave a kick so the priest cut the rope and took good care of michael hamilton when he was able to ride michael went to this chapel of fierbois and took his oath that he had prayed to saint catherine before he was hanged up and now he came to thank her for his escape at her chapel the book of the chapel is full of these strange stories and probably some of them were read aloud to joan who could not read and said that she did not know a from b she attended three masses at fierbois and got some learned clerk to write a letter to the king to say that she was coming she also had a letter written to her father and mother asking them to pardon her for going away without their permission her father she was to see once more 
but her mother she never saw again. As to Michael Hamilton, you may believe his story or not as you like. Many of the other stories told in the chapel book by Scots soldiers and French men and women are just as curious. I only know that the people made long journeys to thank Madame St. Catherine in her church at Fierbois, and that their stories were written down in the book there. End of chapter 4